It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Joseph Addison once said, It's only imperfection that complains of what is imperfect. The more perfect we are, the more gentle and quiet we become towards the defects of others. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Rick, this is episode 1100. It truly is a privilege, brother, to share the good news uh, with you. That's a lot of episodes, Jonathan. (laughs) We've been talking for a long time, and God is good. God is very, very good. So, folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the CQ Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new Study Questions tool, an easy-to-follow single page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible Study tab on our homepage. And we also do video. Look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what is the subject matter for today? Well, Rick, our question is, do people turn into angels when they die? And our theme text is found in Psalms chapter 8, verse 5. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. All right. Do people turn into angels when they die. You know, it, it, it's funny how certain fanciful images make their way into the human mind and somehow become part of our belief foundation. Case in point, someone dies and the next thing we know, we visualize them standing before those massive and ornate pearly gates of heaven. Once issued their wings and harp, we see them as having made it into eternal bliss. Or how about the common and comforting idea that someone who has passed is now an angel looking down to protect us? Folks, coming up in today's podcast, good people become angels. Well, actually, they don't. And the Bible has a meticulous answer as to why. Our first and second segments give us foundational keys to understand this by defining humanity's relationship to our world, and it is utterly fascinating. So, are all angels the same? Are they perfect? Can they die? Segment three moves us into understanding the role that angels do and do not play in God's universe. And now what about God in his power? And how did Jesus do that whole becoming a man thing? Well, segment four traces the loftiness of God and exactly what happened with Jesus. You don't want to miss this. And finally, God has strict rules of nature in creation. Does he ever make exceptions? The answer might surprise you. Stay with us for our last segment as we look at how God seems to let his rules of nature contradict themselves. Rick, what about angels? Can they ever turn into people? Are these ideas based on the Bible or do the scriptures tell us something else? 
So, Jonathan, this is an interesting question. Do people turn into angels when they die? Uh, we've got our friend Julie back with us. Uh, Julie, how are you? Hi, Rick. Hi, Jonathan. Julie, you know, d- go ahead. Let me do a little introduction for you. Julie okay. is bringing us her unique insight and perspective. Uh, good friend and fellow CQ volunteer. So what about this subject, Julie? Why? Well, to give you a peek behind the curtain, you know, you schedule the topics for upcoming podcast episodes about three or more months ahead of time. And I've been wanting to get this topic on the board for almost a year now. So I'm glad now is the time. Um, so today we're going to review a very important fundamental concept in the Bible. And understanding this as a foundational truth personally has been a game changer for me and helped me clarify many misconceptions and assumptions people make about life after death and about God and Jesus and angels in general. So the overall concept is there's a clear distinction of natures of what constitutes human nature, what constitutes angelic nature, and what constitutes divine nature. And God's various creations are on separate and distinct levels or planes of being. No entity occupies more than one plane at a time. And with very few exceptions for specific reason, beings do not change the initial nature they had when they were created. So that's the basic concept. And wow, does it open the Bible once you once you grasp that? Okay, there was a lot said in that uh, in that introduction there. So we need to start with the basics. Okay, God is meticulous. The principal theme of the Bible is the plan of God for the recovery of the human race from sin and death. Okay, we're going to get into these natures thing in a moment, but that's the basic principle. We're often asked about the overall plan of God, why we have suffering and when will it end. People are always asking that question. Well, the entire story of the Bible can be summed up in just four words. Four words. Paradise lost, paradise restored. That sums up the major picture of what the scriptures are. The details in the middle are what the Bible outlines. And you know, the whole plan of God as revealed in the Bible relates to the fall of man into sin and death and his salvation therefrom. And it's all about restitution. We're going to be talking a lot about restitution tonight. Restitution means the restoration of something lost or stolen to its proper owner. So what's going to be restored and to whom? So for mankind, three main things were lost and three main things are promised to be restored. Number one, mankind had a direct relationship with God. Adam talked with God. Number two, a perfect environment. Uh, We lost out on a great place to live that sustains life. And three, the right to life, meaning a conditional opportunity for eternal life. Okay, so let's lay this out now very quickly through Scripture, what God made. Jonathan, let's start with Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Rick, uh, all the creative days... God said it was good. Why here in the sixth day does he say it's very good? Because he's looking at the overall process and saying, I have finished the earthly creation, and it's very good. I like what has been done, and now the processes of life are going to meld together, and things are going to progress. So very good is a very, very high state of being from the the lips of God, if you will. 
Okay, it's a combination, a culmination of all the things that he had done. So he says it's very good, and in God's mind, that means it's perfect. For man, no flaws, no pain, not even a lack of symmetry for the environment. There's clean, pure air, water, and food. Everything is very good. And it was all prepared for mankind, wasn't it? Yes. And boy, we can't even imagine perfection. You know, think about it. If we were to live in a world with no flaws, no pain, able to see and hear perfectly and no mental illness and to be able to function without disease and experience what I would love, perfect weather conditions all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and even our reasoning abilities have degenerated so much that we don't even know what's right and wrong anymore. And we just can't conceive what perfection looks like. And yet that's how it all started. So how did we get to where we are? All of this was lost when sin entered. And again, very quickly, Genesis 3, 17 to 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." You know, God is brilliant in his simplicity in showing what happens. You were taken from the dust to the dust you will return. It's a very simple equation. So the consequence of sin included not just eventually dying, but it includes banishment from this perfect place that Julie just described, this perfect Garden of Eden. So Jonathan, Genesis three twenty-two and 23. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. You know, this Genesis 3.22 is a very important foundational text because if you notice, it specifically tells us that had Adam not sinned and been allowed to stay in the garden where he was able to eat from this tree of life for sustenance, he never would have died. It says, Eat, the, uh, eat from the tree of life right. and live forever. So Adam was designed, humans were designed with the ability to live forever. He had the right to life. So we already mentioned those three things, mankind's direct relationship with God, a perfect environment, and a right for life. So when we're looking at this, and it's important to realize that he had to be removed from that life, that eternal life-sustaining sustenance. So what was lost is, was God's original design and environment for humanity. What was lost was harmony and relationship with God for Adam. What was lost was the right to life and the right to the tree of life. What was lost was the equality of genders and the direct heavenly sovereignty over earth. So there was a lot that was lost with this original sin. Well, Rick, did God have to quickly come up with a different plan after what Satan did? Yeah, you know, God had to say, oh, man, I never saw that coming. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's the beautiful thing is we have scriptures that show us that God understood all of this from the very, very beginning. Even when the blueprints were being put together, he knew and he had it all worked out. And it is a marvelous, marvelous plan. And his plan provided a way to restore all that was lost. Jonathan, Acts 3, 20 and 21. And that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive or retain until the period of restoration of all things, 
about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. So this scripture focuses on the period of restoration of all things. And folks, I will tell you, if you're a Christian and you read your Bible regularly, most of us overlook this. We don't see it. We just kind of gloss over it. What is this period of restoration of all things? Lots was lost, and this is telling us it is going to be restored. And it says that it was spoken of by the mouth of all his holy prophets from ancient time. In Seeker Rewind, in, in the uh, bonus material, in the show notes, rather, in the show notes at the end, we've got a list of the prophets and the prophets' words showing this future time. It's very remarkable to see that. So you want to take a look at that in the CQ uh, show notes. So, Jonathan, let's wrap up this initial segment about what you know, paradise uh, lost, paradise restored, kind of the basics. What are the, what's our first observation of angels and men? At the most basic level, un- uncovering God's plan, we do not see any provision for humanity becoming angels. God is showing us humans are simply human. And now we haven't really proven that yet, but we've got the basis for understanding that that's the way God created us as humans. You know, it's really hard for us to fathom the magnitude of the perfect human environment that was created and lost. If God's plan is to restore and man was never given heaven, why do we say the faithful go there? We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time. Then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. As we soon shall see, the call to heaven to follow Jesus does fit in as a provision of grace. To get there, we first need to clearly establish that God's creation was put in place with specific dividing lines between different planes of existence. Let me say that again. Specific dividing lines between different planes of existence. Let's see what these are and how they are distinct. So as we go through this, we're going to breeze through the entire creative process. You know, six creative days we're going to take in 10 minutes. And so we're going to make an assumption to begin. The assumption is God placed distinct and defining levels of existence within his creation. And I'm repeating that a lot because this is how we figure out the relationship between man and angels. You need to know all of the steps before that. So the assumption, God placed distinct and defining levels of existence within his creation. So we're going to observe the order of creation. It, it doesn't give us specifics, um, details rather, but it is specific. So day three, the earth, the dry land is where we find the middle, uh, mineral creation comes from, and this is where it appears in day three, Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Okay, so you've got the dry land. You say, okay, big deal. Well, in the dry land, in land, you find the minerals. You find gold and silver and copper and iron and all of these other minerals, which are refinable and valuable. 
But we also notice that within that mineral world, there are different levels of, the, of, of value. Uh, gold is much more valuable than silver and copper and iron. And, you know, you think about salt. Salt is, is a mineral that is plentiful but is used in all kinds of different ways. So the mineral world has its own little hierarchy, if you will, and it's there and it comes out of the land. So, Julie, our conclusion on the earth and the minerals and so forth. Well, within the basic elements of earth, there is variety, but there's also a spectrum of value. There's more valuable, even though it's perfect, or less valuable, even though it's perfect. And, and see, that I'm glad you brought it up that way. Even though something it was, was created in a perfect way, it doesn't mean that everything perfect means everything's equal. And, that's, right. and it starts right with just the basics, the very basics, minerals in the earth. On day three of creation, we continue with the next level, the next distinct level of creation, Genesis 1.11. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. So the list, it starts with vegetation, which essentially means grass, and then plants and trees. And if you notice, it's, you're seeing subtly, you're seeing this, you've got more basic things and more complex things and more complex things. And you know, you, you, you've got the trees which bear fruit and you've got the seeds in them and so forth. So plant life is another varied level of existence. It's very simple the way it's stated in creation, but it's giving us examples of how it all fits together. Plant life conclusion, Julie. Well, within the spectrum of plant life, there's also varied complexity, use, and value. And if you notice, even the most perfect uh, mineral, like gold, is still not as valuable as a living thing, like a tree and a plant, because it has life to it. Right. And that living thing, it perpetuates life as well. So you, you see that there's a difference. Now, th this can sound like, well, this is pretty basic. Yes, it is. But it's establishing the principle of how God works. And when we understand how God works in the basic things, we want to track it. Does it hold true as you go further and further up the chain of complexity? Now look, just before we move on to day five, a cell has such immense complexity. DNA is such a complex thing. Do you realize it took humankind, we think we're so smart. It took us, I think, a decade and a billion dollars to unravel a strand of DNA and label it. Think about that. And there's these DNA strands through everything. That's how complex God's creation is. But within that, within that DNA, within those, those cellular structures, you've got levels of existence. Moving on to day five, Jonathan, on to fish and fowl. And notice Fisher mentioned first, Genesis 1, 20 to 22. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. It's interesting how in the creative process, you just see it getting more and more complex. And, you know, a lot of times people look at the scriptures and say, well, they were pretty ignorant back then. Really? Take a look at how this is all laid out for us. Julie, the fish and fowl conclusion. Well, these further levels of existence are extraordinarily more complex than minerals and plants, and yet they're still on the more basic side of the overall earthly creation. We haven't gotten to the 
the big stuff yet. And but yet they're made up of the the cellular structures that are that that blow the mind of man. Profound. <laughs> it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Okay, so now we move on to the sixth day. Told you we're going to go through this quick. The land dwelling animal life, and then finally humanity is created. So Jonathan, we're in Genesis one twenty four to twenty six. Then God said, "Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts on the of the earth after their kind." And it was so. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we haven't mentioned angels, okay? And we're at the epitome of earthly creation. And so what we have is, it says, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. But then when it comes to the creation of humanity, it says, Let's make man in our image and after our likeness. There's a dramatic difference between how the earth brought forth up to this point and how God said, okay, mankind, different story, higher life form in a dramatic way. So, Julie, our animal and human conclusion here. Well, now we have a plane of existence of, of human that is now going to rule over everything beneath it. So it's more important than the fish, the birds, the sky. We've now got the highest level of existence in the earth. And this is, you know, completely different from bringing forth animals and, and versus God creating humanity. You know, and, and there, there are many in, 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 in science that say, well, you know, we, we evolved from lower forms. And we would challenge that from a scientific perspective. We've done several uh, uh, podcasts on that in the past, and that's something really, really worth looking into from a science perspective. Humankind is a different kind of creation, a higher kind of creation. So again, while we can grasp perfection on any level of existence, and Julie, you talked about that last segment, we realize that such perfection is not an open doorway to proceed to a higher level of existence. So, you know, from this, we start to see that natures are separate. Yeah, minerals don't change into plants, and plants don't change into fish. We see the plan of nature. A creature can be perfect, yet on a lower plane of being than another. Therefore, a perfect horse, let's say, would still be lower than a perfect man. Right. And a fish is a lesser species than a horse. So if living species were brought to perfection, there would still be variety because perfecting a nature does not change a nature. And that's really important. Perfecting a nature does not change a nature. All right. And, and this is the point of this conversation before we get to the angel connection, because we understand that God creates things within a specific confines of its nature. Our theme scripture said man was made a little lower than the angels. And we realize that in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Jesus was made to be higher than the angels. So now we're, we're starting to expand the nature's discussion into things that are beyond earthly. So Jonathan, Hebrews 1, uh, part of 3 and verse 4. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he was has inherited a more excellent name than they. So we see, and we're going to discuss this in much more detail, Jesus has this elevation above angels that's very specific in Hebrews. So what we're seeing is God's specific design 
and saying there are levels of existence in this creation that I have designed, and he lays them out for us in a very basic way in the creative days. And many times we just read them and say, well, that's an interesting story, but it's giving us the hierarchy of God's creativity. Jonathan, what's our observation of angels and men for this segment? The design of creation shows us that human level of existence is not at all attached to the spiritual level of existence. Rather, they are separate and distinct. Because in the creative process, you don't have any mention of angels. Okay, they're just not part of it. There's no connection. So for us to just automatically make the connection, we have to say, well, what gives us the right to do that? And the answer is, well, actually nothing. So we have to look at scriptures to see, well, well, we talk about going to heaven and all that. So we got we got to look at scriptures and see how all of this actually does fit together. So it seems like God's creative process for our world stair-stepped from the bottom up and the highest plateau is us. With mankind at the top of the earthly ladder, let's talk a bit about angels. Are they perfect like God? Let's learn something about one of your Christian Questions hosts. Before Jonathan starts his workday, he wakes up at the crack of dawn, then swims multiple miles, then heads out to take on his workday. Should we start calling him Jonathan Phelps, or should we just go with Aquaman? And now you know something more about Jonathan. What's next on the podcast, fellas? Now, I just got to say that that Aquaman thing is kind of a mixing of natures, and it really doesn't work. Sorry, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, our conversation about angels will admittedly be conducted in a dimly lit environment of uncertainty. We We do know that there are levels of existence in the spirit realm. Because we do not know how the creative process actually occurred on this level, we're going to look at it from the top down. So we have much more understanding of the earthly creation than we do spiritual creation. So starting from the top down, there's divinity. You've got God and Jesus are at the top of this whole hierarchy, if you will. You've got an archangel, morning stars, seraphim, and cherubim. And don't forget, Rick, about guardian angels. In an episode 1043, How Do Angels Help Us in Daily Life is a wonderful program on how the Lord protects us. And so, yes, there are guardian angels. There are dominions and principalities and powers and so forth. There are angels and messengers, and there are demons, those who fell. These demons are in league with Satan, and they oppose us. So we're going to start by looking at that comparison, because now we're looking at the spirit creation and seeing how it functions in relation to or in opposition to earthly creation. Ephesians 6.12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So what are we wrestling against? Things that are bigger than us, things that are stronger than us, and things that can easily overcome and overtake us. We have to be really careful with that. And that's why in dealing with spiritual matters, we need spiritual guidance and spiritual influence from God and Jesus through God's own Holy Spirit. thing we need to understand is spirit beings were created. Just like humanity was created, they were created. Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Okay, so everything's been created through him and for him, 
and but the point is it's all had a beginning so now we got to ask well, what are spirit beings like well we know that they're frequently pleasant pre- present and i would say pleasant too <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of scary because they're so powerful they don't necessarily mean to be scary it's interesting that when many angels appeared with um with messages from god their first words are do not be afraid because their very nature is so much bigger than ours. They're invisible to humans unless they make themselves visible. They can assume human bodies and appear as men. That's, that's something that's very, very unusual. They are glorious in their normal condition, and they can also be dark. So as glorious as they are, there is a dark side to this whole thing that we need to be aware of. Second Peter 2.4 For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartaro and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. You know, go ahead, Jonathan. Well, Rick, that Greek word Tartaro is translated as the word hell, but that can confuse the verse. What it means is that because of their sin, they were restricted from heaven where God and his faithful angelic host reside uh, with some type of barrier. Uh, They were put in a place to prevent them uh, from doing that. They kind of got demoted uh, because of that sin, wouldn't yeah, you say? Yeah, and, and, and you, you used a, a good ex- explanation. They are restrained. They can't do what they would have been able to do, but they still do have power and influence. So you've got this situation where they're there, and they're dark, okay? Their sin was leaving their dominion taking on human form right after the floods or before the flood we're, we're specifically talking about at this point, taking on human form and illicitly commingling with humanity. What they did is they attempted to mix natures before the flood, and what happened was there was a race created that did not belong, and God destroyed it because the mixture of spirit nature and human nature is not part of God's plan. And so we saw that in a dramatic example right there at the, at the very, very beginning. A Jew chapter 1, verse 6. And angels who did not keep their own dominion, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So, and that word eternal is actually everlasting, not meaning eternal forever and ever and ever, but it's, it's, it's a bond that they are held back. Like you said before, Jonathan, they're restrained, and they, they will come up to judgment. There will be judgment for them as well. And, and I think it's interesting. Under darkness, I mean, this is without God's light anymore. Yeah. He's, he's withdrawn his light from them because of their sin. And so... We're talking now about the spirit realm, and the big question is, do people turn into angels when they die? So we're asking the question, do people go from a physical human realm and then become a, enter into the spirit realm when they die? What we're describing is some of the things that happen on the level of the spirit realm, and it's very, very, very different than we might think. Okay, So we've got to, we're looking at the dark side of this. Spirit beings now, um, let's look at more of the brighter side now. Spirit beings are mortal, which means they can die. And maybe for some that comes as a shock. What do you mean they can die? Yes, they can. Okay. They require some kind of outside source for life. Now, we're not told what that outside source is. 
Now, maybe a hint, maybe not a hint, who knows? The manna from Israel's wilderness wanderings is referred to as angel food. Ah, was manna like angel food cake? I didn't say cake. I didn't say cake. Nice and sweet. (laughs) Mm. Well, Jonathan, read Psalm uh, uh, Psalm 78, 25. Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. Okay, and it's interesting. It says the bread of angels. Now, what does that mean? I think what it means is the bread supplied by angels. I don't think that the angels were sharing their food with humanity, but it's kind of a fun thing to think about is, oh, is this what the angels eat? And I I really don't think so. Uh, Of course, that's my opinion. But, you know, it gives us a sense that humans needed to be sustained. Angels do too. All of the spirit realm, except for one class which we will get to, every part of it needs sustenance of some kind. Don't know how, don't know where, don't know when, just know it's required because that's the difference between divine nature and spirit nature. And we're going to be getting into that uh, presently. So uh, we're we're talking about mortality and immortality. So let's take a minute and do some defining here. Jonathan, a definition for mortality. A condition in which death is a possibility but is not inevitable. So a mortal being may live forever or a mortal being may die. And the dictionary says that mortality is the state of being subject to death. And to that we add dependent on an outside source for life. Okay. The the dictionary, just read the dictionary definition again on that. The state of being subject to death. Okay. The state of being subject to death, not necessarily destined for it. It's just, it's a possibility. It's a possibility, okay? So someone who has eternal life, I'm just going to jump ahead for a second, still could be subject to death, but they just live forever. Uh, Like, let's say, uh, an angel that never uh, goes against God, an angel should be able to live forever. Now, let's compare that to immortality. Jonathan, a definition for immortality. A condition in which death is an impossibility. So now the dictionary says that's, Immortality is the ability to live forever, deathless. But to that we add, whatever is required for life, it is self-perpetuated in an immortal being. It's not dependent on an outside source for life. So it's like the phrase having life in himself. It's independent of circumstances. So immortality is above the possibility of death. That's really what we're saying. It's There's a, nothing, no outside source that requires that life. You have life within yourself. Right. So you're a self, it's, 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 it's kind of like, not really, but kind of like a nuclear reactor that, that's a breeder reactor that produces the plutonium that it All right, it, this it is uses. getting a little too technical. <laughs> but the idea is that it perpetuates itself and can't be snuffed out. So this is the point we're, we're, we're trying to make. And we need to understand these things because if we say, okay, well, do people become angels? We need to understand mortality, immortality, divine nature, spirit nature, human nature. We need to put this all together. And fortunately, the scriptures do that for us. So mortals can live eternally. God's design for humanity was to do so here on earth. And with, you know, the, with, wait, with a little help from the tree of life, remember? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're designed to be able to live here on earth. The tree of life was that sustainer for them. 
So the point of these definitions of mortality and immortality is to refute another commonly held misconception that man must always die and that perfection and everlasting life are only attainable in heaven. So the truth is perfect man will live forever if obedient to God's law on a perfect earth in the kingdom. Adam's trial was to see if he was worthy or unworthy of continuance of life and the blessings that he already possessed. Nowhere was he offered or promised immortality. And if Adam wasn't mortal, uh, that sentence uh, when Satan said, thou shalt not surely die, well, that would have been a lie. And we know that he was mortal because he required the tree of life, like Jonathan just said, in order to sustain his life. But had he not sinned, that that perfect man was set and had with the ability to live forever. So just because you have the ability to live forever doesn't mean you are deathless. And that's, right. that's, that's kind of what we want to get to here. Okay, now let, let's, let's continue a little bit further. Relationship or lack of relationship, angels and man. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man, that thou visiteth him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. So this is a verse that is showing us that man was created. Now we know from previous uh, uh, segments, man is created in the image of God. Man is created crowned with glory and honor over the work of God's hands, meaning the earth. But it's saying in the hierarchy of God's creations, the many creations that we know of and that we don't know of, it says he's created lower than the angels. So as high as we are, we are the pinnacle of creation on earth, because that's the way the creative story tells us. It's saying that, but you have no idea how much more power and life there is above and beyond you that is just out of your reach. So spirit beings are mortal, as we said, and they exist below God's divinity, below his divinity, but above man's earthly mortality. So if we're, we're drawing the picture and you've got the minerals and the plants and the fish and the, and the fowl of the air and the animals and mankind and then the spiritual creations and then God and Jesus themselves at the top. So, Jonathan, what's our observation of angels and men at this point? Human and spiritual natures are separate and distinct. The blending of two natures is not part of God's design and would be an imperfection. The change from one nature to another is not the rule, but the exception. Okay, so we're, we're, we're saying that God did not design for the blending of natures, but he did make a design for the changing of nature. But it's not a common thing. And that's where we have to go next. We have to dig a little further. We want to understand how this all works. The interesting thing is, when you back away, you can see, okay, What's in the mind of God? And the answer is he's got levels of existence that he has put in place that are very specific and very dynamic, each within themselves. So this helps us to understand. Angels, then, were created perfect, mortal, and spiritual. They are higher than us, but can still fall into sin. We have already said that God is above all, with Jesus at his side. What do we know about their divinity? Divinity. 
Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. The Bible tells us that the nature of God is above and beyond reproach and has always been a constant within our universe and outside of our universe as well. He is beyond time, outside of our universe, and a force that has unlimited power and unlimited wisdom. He is the originating source of all creation and all life. So when you look at the idea of God, it is this high, high, highest level of existence that we can't even begin to get our head wrapped around. You know, when, well, we'll read the scriptures and then I'll, I'll mention the, one of the issues I have with this that, that just blows my mind. So when we focus on men, angels, and their differences, we need to understand the source of all life. And that is God, initially, at, at first. Psalm chapter 90, verses 1 through 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Okay, so from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You know, you think about that, and that to me, this is where some of the the thinking gets a little haywire. I can I can figure something going on forever in the future. I can't figure out how did it not have a beginning, and the, the answer essentially is God is outside of time. Okay, what does that mean? Well, you're asking the wrong guy because I don't know. But the idea is he is beyond our comprehension, just far beyond. Isaiah 57.15 also verifies this. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So again, I dwell on a high and holy place, high exalted one, lives forever. God unequivocally stands above everything. Unequivocally, he's untouchable, his being, and in, in his being, and he's unchangeable in his plan. And even though it looks like his plan got derailed at, uh, when, when, when Adam sinned, we know, according to Scripture, that he had that factored in and he had the ability to work it out because paradise lost, paradise restored. That's God's plan for humanity. So, go ahead, Julie. Um, you know, I just wanted to mention that there is a CQ Kids video called Who Made God that talks in simple terms how something came from, you know, is always there and will always be. So if you go to ChristianQuestions.com, uh, click on the video tab, and then CQ Kids. These are short two-minute videos that are animated. Uh, look for Who Made God. It's a, real, it's a real good one. Maybe I need to see that again. <laughs> Maybe it's a good one to review, yes. <laughs> okay, so we've got God in his own category. Jesus. Jesus' original nature. He was the Logos, the Word. That's what it tells us in, in John, in his pre-human existence. We're going to go to John chapter 1. We're going to go to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So you've got this glory that you see. So 
he had a level of glory that is stated in John 1.14. And he, it says he's the only begotten from the Father. So that puts him in a very unique position. Because if you're the only begotten from the Father, that means nobody else is there. So that's a completely Jesus thing as the Logos, the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 17.5 helps us to expand this a little bit further. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Glorify me together the way it was before. Jesus understood where he came from. So when he's on earth and when he's a man and when he's preaching and when he's healing and when he's being pursued by the Pharisees, he knows, he clearly understands and remembers, this is where I came from. And he's, and he's praying to his father in heaven. And he's saying, please, just, just if I can get back what, what I had originally. So what he's saying by saying that, he's defining the differences between spirit and human nature. It might be subtle here. It's going to get a little bit more specific. Spirit nature is close to God. Jesus was a little further from God. And he... So, so he's looking and saying, okay, there's a difference between where I am and where I was, a difference in nature. So what we're saying is Jesus actually underwent a change in nature, not a combination of natures, but a change in nature from spiritual to human. Well, Rick, we do know uh, that angels can appear as men, but this is completely different. How? This is different because... It's exactly what you said. Angels can appear as men, okay? They didn't become men. They appeared as men to deliver a message. And then what did they do? They left. Jesus became a man, was born, and lived as the man, Christ Jesus. And that's what the scriptures call him, the man, Christ Jesus. So there's a major difference here. Philippians 2, Julie, go ahead. Well, this this change of nature is special. This was never done before. Right. And that's really important to note. This Jesus is a special category on a special plane all by himself. Yes. Yeah. So this is a unique experience in the entire creation of God. And so you got to ask yourself the question, well, why did this come about then? I mean, why would God do this? There's a terrific answer for that that's coming up in the next segment. So I want you to hang on for that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So with that, Jonathan, what we have is this idea of emptying himself. And what it's saying is he emptied what he had. It was left behind didn't take it with him, didn't take an, a, a, an emergency bottle with him. He was emptied. There was nothing left of that, and he started as this human. And, and, and folks, look, you may not have, have considered the scriptures this way, but let's read through this Philippian scripture very, very carefully because it's talking about his leaving one thing behind, and he comes and he accepts human nature. Well, well, why would he do that? Why would he accept human nature? And the reason is because he needed to be the exact price necessary to bring salvation. Because the original message of Scripture was paradise lost, paradise restored. 
how do you bridge the gap between lost and restored? The answer is you fulfill justice. How do you do that? His name is Jesus. That's how you do that. Okay? So now let's go to Philippians 2 8. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, you know, some, some may look at the verse and say, well, he's just appeared as a man, but he really wasn't. But, you know, the word appearance actually means one of the definitions, the manner of life. So being found in the manner of life as a man. In other words, he's a man. He's a human being, okay? We know that because, and I'm going to run ahead, just read one part of the next verse, Jonathan. You can fill in the rest of the verse. But it talks about the man, Christ Jesus. It doesn't say the apparent man, Christ Jesus, or the part man, Christ Jesus. It says the man, Christ Jesus. This is important because he changed nature. Why? Because that's how God's plan works. Now, Jonathan, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Here is why we are so emphatic that the scriptures are teaching us about this change of nature. It says he gave himself as a ransom. The word for ransom is anti-lutron. That's the Greek word. It's about the only Greek word I can pronounce. So there it is. You know my extent of Greek. It's only used once in the Bible. It's derived from two different Greek words, anti, which means instead of or because of, and lutron, which means a redemption price, ransom, meaning a corresponding price. So um, what we have is Adam sinned. Jesus gave his life for Adam's sin, a corresponding price. It had to be man for man. So can we talk about ransom for a bit? Sure. So let's say a man is captured in war and he's held by the enemy who demands like a certain sum for his release. That sum represents the value of the man. It's his value or it's his ransom. So when Adam disobeyed God and was condemned to death, a perfect man's life was forfeited. So to redeem Adam's life and release him from death, another perfect man's unforfeited life would be given up as an offset in place of that forfeited life. And so this is the ransom price for Adam. God arranged for that price to be paid with another perfect man, Jesus. And it wouldn't have worked if it was an angel or something divine. It was man for man. That was what the ransom price was. So Jesus sacrifices his perfect human life, and he died without deserving to die because he never sinned in the place of Adam, who did deserve to die because he did sin. And so God accepts Jesus' sacrifice as that ransom price, and everyone, Adam and all his race who inherited death, get to live again. This fulfills that prophecy in Hosea thirteen fourteen. It says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. And, and here's a scripture that I found I thought was just amazing. Matthew 18, 11. And here's the crux of it. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. That's why he came and became a man. And we already talked about what was lost and therefore what will be restored. It's back to the original condition from which man fell. So that was his role to be that ransom. So now and now now some may ask the question, well wait, didn't didn't he die for our sins as well? Yes, he did. Well then doesn't it have to be a bigger sacrifice? 
Hang on to that question because it's a really good one, and we're going to get to the answer to that specific question in the next segment, at the beginning of the next segment. So let's keep, keep on this idea of ransom and this change of nature, okay? So Jesus would be rewarded, turns out, with an even higher nature than before. Remember, he was asking God to restore him to what was, but God's plan was no, because you did what you did, because you emptied yourself essentially twice from the spirit nature, and then you gave up your earthly life as well, here is what God is doing for him. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Well, and right before that, Rick, um, because he received divine nature at, and to be at God's right hand, I don't think Jesus did it for the reward. No, he I didn't. I think he, Jesus did it. He loved his father, and he loved humanity, and he was willing to do whatever it took to help in both cases. Well, yeah, and you know the fact that he asked to be restored to what he was shows you that, look, I'm just content to be, to be what I've always been. But God says in Philippians 2, 9, 11, no, 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 you're going to be higher than you've ever even imagined. Go ahead, read that scripture. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Julie, did you want to add something at that point? You know, yeah, because, well, did we read Hebrews 2, 6 to 8? Uh, we, um, well, we, uh, actually, Jonathan, you had a comment here first. Yes? Uh, no. No, gotcha. Nope. Okay. Uh, we, we, we read, we didn't read Hebrews 2, 8. We read 6 and 7. Yeah, Hebrews, remember that was the, um, what is, it quoted from Psalms, which yes. is our theme text. What right. is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you visited him? It says you made him, and now it's specifically applying to Jesus, a little lower than the angels, right? When he became right. a man and you crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the work of thy hands. Thou put all things in subjection under his feet. Um, so it, it, it shows that there was this, first Adam, and now there's the second Adam who has now this glory and honor. Um, but again, this is life not dependent on an outside source. You know, in, in John five twenty six, it says, for just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son to have life in himself. Remember, that's that right. immortality. And the point is, you know, God is above all and unchangeable, Jesus was a spirit nature, became human, and as a reward for his faithfulness, becomes divine. He changes natures again. Right. Nobody gave God divine nature. It was inherent in him. God gave Jesus divine nature. The scripture tells us that. And that's why we have to look at it this way, because we have to abide by the definitions that the scriptures are giving us to the differences in nature. So, Jonathan, let's wrap this up. Observations of angels and men. I, folks, this was a heavy segment in terms of defining things. And you might be thinking, what? You need to get the show notes. And you need to go through the scriptures and, and prove them to yourselves because this is really important stuff. Jonathan, observations of angels and men. The differences between angels and men are so marked that when Jesus, by the will of God, embarked on that path, he had emptied himself of his spiritual life. His earthly death emptied him again to be able to receive immortal spiritual life with God himself. So we see this journey of Jesus, which had, was a journey that no being had ever taken. And we look at this and say, God is, is, is masterful. Now, why did God do that? 
And that is something we're going to get to in our, in our next segment. God's universe is not only organized, it's compartmentalized as well. Every plane of being has its purpose. God's planes of existence are clear-cut dividing lines. Why then do we talk about going to heaven? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. We've already seen how God provided Jesus as the exception to the rule and enabled him to cross the lines of distinct natures twice. As we will see, this opened the opportunity of grace that would be given to Jesus' footstep followers. They would be able to go where he went and do what he does. So, Rick, before we get into the open door to heaven... Does this mean that all human life before Jesus' death on the cross would only be resurrected on the earth because the door to heaven was never opened? Paradise lost, paradise restored. Where was paradise? I don't have the street address, but it was Eden. Okay, so yes, it means that earth is the paradise restored. Humanity was never promised heaven. And yet we talk about going to heaven all the time. So how do we make that work? Because the scriptures are specific about the followers of Jesus going to heaven. Nobody else, though. we got to understand that. When you read the New Testament, it's written to the followers of Jesus. If you're not a footstep follower of Jesus, you're reading somebody else's mail. Now, you're able to see what's going on, but it doesn't necessarily apply. So, important reminder Mankind never lost a heavenly nature, so Jonathan, everybody before Jesus automatically is raised to earth. Therefore, as we said at the beginning, restoring mankind means restoring back that which was lost, human nature on earth. Rick, you mentioned an opportunity of grace. Yes. Uh, that, That word is special to you and I. And how can we wrap our heads and hearts around the grace of God to take humans at this level, low level compared to the the spiritual realm, and lift us up higher. I mean, we don't deserve it. No, no, and, and you know, and I frankly, I can't think about it because it's too big for 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 me. It's just too big. So what I do instead of trying to grasp it is I say thank you a lot, and I try to live thank you a lot. And so for me, that grace is this unmerited favor that says, you can be a part of this. What will you do as a result of the privilege? So to answer the call of grace means we are called to action. And that's what a life of faith is. Go ahead, Julie. But we need to make the differentiation because it sounds like what you two are saying is, if I believe on the name of Jesus and I'm a follower, maybe even a casual follower, poof, I get to be in heaven. Okay. But... That's not what we're going to see. So I just want to make sure that we're clear on right. that. Right, and, and that's going to come very, very, very soon. So let's first establish earth, 
Okay, Romans five eighteen and nineteen. And remember, I asked the question last segment. Well, you know, didn't Jesus' sacrifice have to be bigger? Didn't he have to be bigger than Adam because he's sacrificing for the whole world? The answer to that is in this scripture, Romans five eighteen and nineteen. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So what you have is, go ahead, Julie. Well, if we back up even to Romans five twelve, a little earlier, it says, wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Right. So the point of the Roman scripture says that Jesus' sacrifice as a man was sufficient because the automatic end result, the default of being born of Adam, was to be born into sin. The default of being ransomed, of having, un- be- uh, having Jesus ransom Adam, is to be raised to, to the opportunity for life. That's the default. So it, it doesn't have to be bigger. It needs to be the same because that's what justice requires. And, you know, it's funny because average Joe mankind was neither offered nor promised immortality. Right. And, in fact, the concept doesn't even exist until the New Testament. Like you said, it was meant for Jesus' followers because the offer of a heavenly reward was only made to the footstep followers of Jesus and only after his death on the cross. So no one in the Old Testament, even God's most trusted and faithful servants, you think of Noah and Abraham and David and Daniel, they were never offered or promised immortality. And, you know, I think it's interesting. I've been at funerals where people will say things like, well, dad's up there watching the Super Bowl, rooting for our team. (laughs) And uh, boy, now she can play all the golf rounds that she wants. You know, it's funny. No one ever says their loved ones are doing heavenly things like sitting on clouds or even conversing with God. Their earthiness shows up yeah, because they're attached to the earth. And the perception to many is, well, heaven's just like earth, but it's up there. Yeah, And it, it, I saw a cartoon with a, a little man. He's, he's got these angel wings and he's sitting on a cloud. and He's got a halo. And the caption is, wish I'd brought a magazine. <laughs> you know, yeah. we don't even have that yeah. concept. And you see that mankind is longing for something and they're longing for paradise restored. Right, and, and that's exactly true. They're longing for, when you ask somebody, you know, envision what life would be in the, in the best way possible. They all describe paradise restored. And, that, and that's what reconciliation is. That's what reconciliation is. Does everyone who's, who's saved go to heaven? No. But the path to heaven is there for Jesus' true footstep followers. They're the exception, not the rule. So, Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 45, and then verses 53 and 54. So also as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, and the last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Uh, Rick, what about the teachings in churchianity about the immortal soul that we really don't die? Well, see, here's the thing. When you look at this verse, this verse is very specific. And I've often wondered, how do you teach that when it says this mortal must put on immortality? 
if you you don't have it, you have to get it. So it's not inherent. It's something that is 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 uh, moved towards. So you know, it's it's hard to say. And and when you see you see the idea of you know what happened to Adam, it said, "From dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return." In the day you eat of the fruit, I'm paraphrasing several verses. You will surely die. And it means dying thou shalt die. You'll start the dying process. And to die means to be without life. Julie? You know, uh, he Jonathan read this first man, Adam, and this last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So notice Jesus is called last Adam, yeah. not the second Adam. Adam was the head of the human race. Jesus Christ is the head of redeemed humanity. So since Christ died once for all time, there's no need for another Adam. So he is the last Adam. And I'll just cite Hebrews 7, 27, 9, 28, 10, 10 to 14. And remember, CQ Rewind show notes, we've taken <laughs> the notes for you. So every scripture quoted will be in there. And some people would say justice requires that God bless all of his creatures with the same blessings. But if this were true, it would show that God had no right to create Jesus higher than the angels and then to exalt him to the divine nature unless he intended to do that for all the angels and for all men. And to carry the principle further to its extreme limit, you'd say, well, all beings, including animals and insects, should receive the same. But that, that would be absurd. So what we see is God's levels of existence. And we started with that. We started with how God put levels of existence in play. And now we're talking about human existence. We're talking about spiritual existence and divine existence. And again, they're very different. They're all part of God's creation, but they're all very different. And God, uh, divine nature is not arbitrarily promised because God is not arbitrary. He just is not an arbitrary uh, creator. He is a planned wise creator. So what about this this divine nature? How do you come across it? And it doesn't come from just being somebody who likes Jesus. Second Peter 1 4. For by these he was granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Okay. Well Rick and Julie it says may. Right. But not guaranteed. Right. So this is saying belief is not enough. No, we have to live the belief. Now, the scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And that's where people say, well, belief is enough. What does it mean? What does true belief mean? Let's go through what true belief actually means. Three simple steps. First, follow in Jesus' footsteps. First Peter 2.21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, his steps didn't end so well, did they? He had a sacrificial walk, so right. we should. And that's the point. His steps don't lead us to a Mercedes-Benz. They lead us to a life of sacrifice. So following in his steps is a serious thing, and the implication of that, it's a lifelong thing. The second point, present our lives as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, 
that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, you know, we all, we, we quote this verse a lot, you know, the, the idea of a living sacrifice and say, okay, we get it. But the other part that we don't quote as often, and perhaps we should, is it talks about the renewing of your mind. I can't renew my mind. I am not capable. Jonathan, you're not capable, and Julie, you're not capable. The renewing is talking about the begetting of God's spirit. That gives us a new mind. That's the influence that opens the door to this incredibly high calling of grace. So you can't go there without God's spirit. You can't go there without following in Jesus' footsteps uh, and living, being that living sacrifice. And the last point is faithfully carry out the sacrifice until it's done, until death, Revelation 2.10. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Not be faithful for most of the time. Not be faithful, you know, for the next few years and then take a few years off. And not be faithful, then take a sabbatical, but be faithful unto death. And that brings the crown of life. You know, this does not define a casual relationship. This is not a fan of Jesus. This is a, a person who has dedicated their entire life to following this footstep you know, to, to, to doing this. So this is why this is a very, very, very special class of mankind. We think it's a, an extremely small percentage of mankind who are promised this immortality, who are promised this divine nature, this life within itself, where death is an impossibility. It's an extremely small piece of mankind. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're right. There's no casual uh, approach to this. If you take it casually, you become a casualty. That's really what it boils down to. Uh, so, we, you know, <laughs> we, we need to, to, to see it for what it is. Jonathan, go ahead. If you can't be proven through your life, through trial and difficulty, how does God know he can trust you for eternity? Yeah. That uh, is what, what Jesus did. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. How much more do we have to do that? Right. So if he had to learn obedience, now, now why, why would Jesus have to learn obedience? Because it was a test for something beyond. And why should we expect anything less than that? Okay, so here's where the great contradiction seems to lie. Because why do these, these few individuals that we're talking about with this, the God's spirit indwelling in them and, and doing these things called, you know, according to his purpose and so forth, why do they get to go to heaven and the billions and billions of humanity will be raised on earth? We just said, you know, natures don't change, but yet we're saying, but in this case, they do. Why do we say that? Why do we get to say that? Because we spent the first part of the podcast saying, God creates natures, and he doesn't make anything different. Here's the answer. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Okay. He is a new creature, which means it's a new creation. So God, in the physical creation, showed us all of the hierarchies of earth. Here... Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, God said, I will now, because of Jesus, make this new creation and allow this small group to change nature from one to the other, not take the human nature with them. Go ahead. And not just change to the next level, which would be angelic, but you are skipping all the way to the top and you change into this divine nature, this thing that 
uh, the, the, be faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life, Revelation 2.10 that we just read. That's ginormous. It is. It, it's, it's hard to comprehend. But the fact is, it's not a combining of natures. It is a change of nature. You know, the scripture says, you know, when, when it talks about the end times, it says, you know, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. You know, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you know, that, that's a sense of a change of something entirely different. Okay, Jonathan, let's go to Second uh, Corinthians five eighteen and 19. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So what is it that these faithful ones, you know, this small, small, small percentage of absolute faithful ones, what are they going to do? Are they going to be hoping they have a magazine sitting on that cloud? (laughs) No, they are going to help reconcile the world back to God. They are going to be God's instruments for blessing the fallen race and restoring them to the perfection Adam enjoyed in the Garden of Eden, which God proclaimed as very good. That's the purpose. That's why Jesus was allowed to change natures. The whole purpose is reconciliation. And this faithful, true church will be the ones that get to assist Christ in helping restore mankind. So when you look at this whole picture, it's a win, 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 win. Everywhere you look, when you can back up and see it from afar. When you see Adam falling into sin, you think, this is terrible. And you see the world groaning in sin and, 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 and everything falling apart, we think, this is awful, where is God? Wait, wait, wait. Back up and see paradise lost, paradise restored through the act of Jesus, and those who are following Jesus are part of his, what's called in Scripture, the body of Christ. And their job will be the reconciliation of the billions who've been off course because of sin. They had no choice but to be off course, and they will have no choice but to have the opportunity to learn. What they do with it is their own choice, but they will be given resurrection like it or not. They can choose not to to accept life if they'd like, but uh, don't ask me why somebody would do that. Anyway, (laughs) let's begin to wrap this up. Jonathan, our final observation of angels and men. All levels of God's creations uh, are in uh, meticulous order. Humans and angels were not meant to be mixed. The new creation that God sanctioned is there for the purpose of the restoration of humanity to that which was lost. And Rick, can I add, no human ever has or ever will turn into an angel. And and really, that you know, we started with that question, and we really do need to end with that question because um, we are. That's the point here. Anything else, Julie? Before we wrap up, uh, let's see. So the scriptures teach us that there is a supreme creator. This is a God of wisdom, justice, love, power. He has a grand plan whereby sin and death, which has been permitted for man's experience, will be eliminated. And the result is a perfect race of human beings living forever in health and happiness in what will be a worldwide Garden of Eden. And just a quick mention, Acts 321 promises a restoration of all things. Paradise lost, paradise found. Restoration is absolutely guaranteed. So, folks, there you have it. What we have looked at 
is the meticulousness with which God created the heavens and the earth and all of the levels of life on the earth and then all of the levels of life in the heavens and how he created them all with specific design in mind, not to be mixed up and shuffled around, but to, to give him praise and honor throughout eternity. Remember, just because something is, somebody is not immortal doesn't mean they can't live forever. Mortality can attain eternity as long as they are blessed of God and they have the ability to give in that sustenance. Humans don't become angels, but the followers of Christ, by the grace of God, will change nature. Totally different story. And folks, what a plan this is, because it includes everyone. Think about it. Folks, listen, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us, review us. We'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about how can we be thankful when life is so hard? That's a tough one. Talk to you next week.